Hi everyone, I'm David Green, Managing Partner for the Insight 222 People Analytics Programme. Welcome to the final episode of Series 15 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. In research we've conducted at Insight 222 since starting the business back in 2017, we found that the vast majority of HR professionals, 82%, strongly believe that people analytics drives business value. My guest on this week's episode of the podcast is a strong proponent of using data, analytics and artificial intelligence in people management. Tone van der Veer is the Global Vice President of People Continuity at AB InBev. As Tone explains to me in our conversation, data provides HR professionals with countless opportunities and this is certainly proving to be the case with the innovative work he is leading at AB InBev. In our conversation, Tone and I discuss how AB InBev brings data to talent conversations. We look at the importance of focusing on adoption and change management. Tone explains why a you-spoke, we-listened, we-acted approach is a critical element of employee listening. And we look at how companies should approach the measurement and utilisation of skills data. This episode is a must-listen for anyone interested or involved in people analytics, employee experience and HR tech. So that's CHROs and anyone in a people analytics workforce planning or HR business partner role. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by AG5. AG5 helps clients visualize and close their skills gaps. By clearly mapping their workforce's current skills and tracking progress against business requirements to get their organization ready for the future and stay compliant. With AG5 skills intelligence software, you can create clear cross-company skills matrices and dashboards within a centralized skills hub integrating data from other HR and learning tools. Moving away from unmanageable spreadsheets, AG5 provides clear, concise and audit-proof skills matrices that make workforce management easy and convenient. To learn more, visit ag5.com. That's letter A, letter G, 5.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Toon van der Veer, Global Vice President for People Continuity at AB InBev to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the show, Tone. It's fantastic to have you on here. We've known each other for a while. Um, can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to you and your and your role at AB InBev? Yeah, of course. And super nice to see you again, David. Um, uh, David, I've worked 14 years with AB InBev. I've worked in, uh, in sales and general management. I've worked in technology in our shared service centers, and I've worked in people. Uh, prior to taking this role, uh, I was the, the, the Vice President of People in Europe, and now I take care of uh, uh, Global Vice President of People Continuity. The job title by itself is maybe somewhat confusing. So what are the four things that we do? It's everything related to talent management, learning and culture, diversity and inclusion, employee engagement, and, and, and attraction. So these are kind of the five uh, products that we as a team take care of um, yeah. and that we, uh, we work on. Well, really looking forward to our discussion today, um, the, the sort of work that you're doing around data-driven decision-making at AB InBev. You know, let's start by hearing your views around decision-making in HR currently and the role that data and AI has to play or is increasingly playing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that um, the, the first time we met, I think we started to explore that a little bit. I think that data in HR gives so many opportunities for us as, as HR professionals. And, and the opportunities are in terms of taking on biased decisions, uh, empowering line managers to understand themselves, their teams, their organizations even better. 
think it really enables uh, HR leaders to become even more strategic. You know, the famous you need to have a, be a strategic business partner. I think that 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 data by itself enables that because you get out of the the day to day machine work that's super important, but you really start to create insights uh, 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 and a different lens of looking at the organization. And I think that AI ML is just one of the vehicles that you know makes. Uh, understandable blocks of products out of all the different data points that we select. Because I think in HR, we select, you know, we collect so much different data points, David. And if that's from core HR master data or your, your, the cycles that you run into the talent, I think there's so much data we collect. And I think now it's about making sure that you start to combine these blocks into meaningful and insightful conclusions and, and points of reference. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it, we've always collected data in, in HR, but we haven't necessarily done much with it and I think right. you gave a perfect intro there you know help empower managers to to make decisions about their teams but also help them understand things about themselves and how their behaviors maybe have a negative or a positive impact on their team's performance their team's engagement it's so important as a manager particularly I guess now where you know for a lot of managers suddenly they're having to manage a, a, a team that's wholly, wholly virtual um, right. which is which is challenging let's be honest about it and if if data can help guide guide them you know to, to to be a better manager to to help their teams uh, also come through this and then obviously that helps them and their teams but it also helps the organization as well yeah 100 100 can you tell us about a, a particular project that you've got that you've been working on at abm bev that is optimizing ai for decision making yeah i, I think first of all david what, what we've tried to do in our on our data and analytics journey is to kind of set a north star so a direction yeah, not a clear. We're going to build this, um, and I think that that has allowed us over the last kind of three, four years, when we really started to understand and, and, and put dedicated resources against this, to see where this was going to meander. Because I think if you, that was by design, right? It's not yeah. by coincidence. It was really we empowered the teams. We we thought like, okay, let's see where we can go. But there were three things that we set on the outset. So first of all, how can we bring more data into our uh, uh, talent conversations? So. Yeah. And I think we've all been there, and I think talking to your listeners, that, that moment when, when somebody says, this person is great. Okay, that makes sense, and we all learned and how to ask, can you give an example and all that. But you have actually data that can help you, you know, recommend that, challenge with that, et cetera. So that's the, what we started with from the outset. We called that OPR 10X. OPR is our cycle that we do uh, every year to assess potential of our teams. Yeah. Uh, we really started to look at combining different data sources from line manager effectiveness in terms of our engagement survey to their leadership capability, to their business results, to their turnover, all these type of stats uh, and how they stack against each other. We looked at peer groups, where they sit in the medians, and you can hear I'm very passionate about that. Um, but that, I think, really en uh, enabled us to start to have more, let's say, deeper and more meaningful conversations about making sure that we put the right people in the right role. And what I mean with that is not just promotions, but also understanding in terms of what are people's sweet spots, what are their strengths, what are they amazing at? Yeah. Uh, um, uh, or if they're more generalistic, how do they stack against? Where are their development needs, etc. So again, I, I think that that's the, the, the part that I'm the most proud of. Um, and that that product by itself created then other products that came after it. But you know we can talk about that later if you want. Yeah, and you said that there were there were three kind of three to four. You've obviously said over three to four years. You said there were three things. One was, as you said, to bring talent 
yesterday, date more data to talent conversations. Uh-huh. Um, you know, what was what was some of the reaction of um, I don't know, in, I guess looking at it from different perspectives, you know, what was the feedback you got from managers and, and then maybe next ask was what some of the feedback you got from employees themselves? Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a great question. I think that that's a change journey. So the first time we tried it, I think people were like, so why is this relevant? You know, why, 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 why are you in between brackets wasting your time on this? Yeah. And, and honestly speaking, that's a, fair, that's a fair provocation because I think in the first iteration, your, your AI ML gets, gets smarter, you learn, um, you, you get things wrong, right? And I think we've been, again, from the beginning, quite open about that. Say, hey, this is a long-term journey where we want to start to embed more data and key uh, decisions we take within our people department and within the HR in general. Um, so that was the first thing. So the first question was, why is this? And then you had your, your promoters and your detractors. Your detractors are like, look, I know my team. You don't need to tell me the data points. The promoters were like, hey, this gave me a different lens of looking at my team. And hey, I didn't, I didn't actually know how person X, um, which I don't see so much, you know, performing on a higher scale than everybody else in my team that I have more proximity to it. So I think that that's the first part that it started. And as it evolved, I think it became more credible if that makes sense uh, david because we we used it we improved it and the output just became so much better in that makes sense so i think we now have a product which is being used in our cycles that people really look at they want to understand how how uh, 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 they can use that they use it to take better decisions and and i'm proud of that and again we do we do our measures we do our mps we, we use our adoptions to make sure that we keep improving it but I think it's now really something that has an adoption and is something that became a part of our normal routine. And I think you've taken a very sensible approach at, at AB and Bev to, to pilot, learn, get feedback, and then then improve and iterate. Because you know that's what that's what you do elsewhere in your organization. So why wouldn't we try and do that in HR as well? Yeah, no, I I, I think that that's um um something that we and I think that that helps from working sometimes cross-functionally if you Get a bit more ex- not experience uh, experiences in the um, uh, more tech world. Um, I think that 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 whole method of trial, test, feedback, improve, not being afraid to to launch a beta product, not being afraid that it actually breaks, or or that people say this is useless and you 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 sunset it. I think that that's something that typically when I talk to HR professionals, um, they're a bit of, not afraid, but they're reluctant to go there um, because you know. People say you don't know what you're doing or whatever, but I think it's something that you need to take the first steps, find the right scope where you start your pilot. I mean, I, I, I discuss it with my team. We call it fish where the fish is. I mean, if you're going to roll out a product and you're just going to do that with a bunch of detractors, you're not going to learn a lot because hmm. you know people will by default say that they, you, know, you need to find the right balance to make sure that you know people are invested to make your product better. But it starts from solving a pain point. And the pain point that we solved with the product I just mentioned was like, People felt that our conversations were at times um, they lacked data, so they wanted those data points, and that's where we started from. Like, how can we add value there from all the data points, as you mentioned before, that we collect? Okay, we put all this on a page, and how can this help have a, a you know an even more meaningful discussion than that we had before? And of course, in many cases, the data will confirm what people think, confirm their hypotheses right. as such, which is which is great because at least you've got that validation. But as you said. Many other occasions, of course, the data will help teach you know teach something new, you know, and maybe think maybe to think again, maybe another perspective 
uh, or something something that hasn't thought of, you know. And and as you said, if if those conversations were happening previously and there wasn't any data there, right, they're essentially based on opinions, I guess. And whereas now, hundred yeah, percent. And, and to build on your point there, David, I think we, we are now. So when we started, our accuracy was fifty fifty. So yeah. you might as well flip a coin, right? We are now at a ninety two percent accuracy. So our our AI ML has now the ability on past behavior. Uh, uh, on, on predicting what the outcome is going to be. So it helps managers, it helps the conversations, and it also starts to help the conversation on if you don't follow. Because, you know, that, that means that, okay, wh why do you disagree with the proposed score? You know, what's the yeah. reason why you think that this person A, B, C, and D? And then you get into very meaningful conversations, like person had a had a bad year or, you know, COVID really threw them off or whatever. It doesn't, you can... You get, I think, more to the to the core of the conversations, um, and you spend less time on things that are rather obvious. So um, you're 100 right, and that journey of going from 50 50 50 to like 92 percent accuracy, uh, I think that that's been super super interesting. And you talked about how obviously, I guess, as the as the machine learns, get more data and ingest more data, and obviously you're iterating on an ongoing basis. You get that improvement from starting at 50 50 to to 92 percent. You know, what are some of the sources of data that the platform uses and, and how have those data sources not just improved, but also increased? Maybe the range of data sources increases as, 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 as you've run through this. Yeah. Um, without going to go too technical, because I, 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 I'm, I'm not that technical, but I think for us... Good, nor am I, Tone, so please don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the game changer for us was actually when we started to create a proper data lake. Yeah. So... Um, where in the past we had different stacks of data and just simply there was no, well, of course you can connect different Excel data sorts, et cetera, but the, the, the effort was so high, David, in terms of the output. And then once you had the connections, you know, you didn't have the ability to put the AI, the AI ML on that. So I think there were three parts, if I'm very honest. With you. Step number one was creating a data lake. So really starting to create one pool of information where we start to, Streamlining with all the GDPR, this is all GDPR compliant, right? So we're not like in some world where we create our own rules, but like, you know, where you have your core HRM data, your engagement data, your 360 data, your, we're now looking at workplace analytics data. So that you really start to create a bit of a, a brain, if that makes sense, of all types of different data points, metadata, that's the first step. Then the second step, it comes down to, I, I don't believe that, you can, and I mean this respectfully, you can learn about AI ML, but we really made sure to hire some amazing people. So yeah. um, we, we have a global analytics capability center in Bangalore. Uh, in, if I talk specifically about Europe, we had with, uh, a person in my team who was a data scientist, studied mathematics um, and really helped there. So the second point was to get that input in, in terms of how do you do this rather than trying to tinker with something. And the third point was really to not get too specific on what it is that you wanted as an output, but really said, okay, we want to solve this problem. How are we going to do that? So you empower then the team who then came with solutions, better problems, great questions in terms of requirements, and the product evolved, right? So it rolled down. Sometimes it went left. Sometimes it went right. Sometimes the performance was bad and we had to move data to the cloud. All these type of things that happen with that. I think that these are the three points that we really, really use. So the data lake to, to your question, where you combine as many data sources as you can to start to weave stories. Second part, bring in people who know the spectrum really, really well. And third, not be too prescriptive because 
honestly speaking, we don't ex we're still exploring. I, I don't okay. know how far AI ML, how the data, how all the insights are going to help us take better decisions in the future. So I think if you're too prescriptive, you might miss you know pieces of, of, of information that we otherwise would not would have. And I think the important, the really important part you said there, it's about solving problems. It's not just having a tool for the sake of having a tool. Right. You know, what are the challenges that we're facing as an organization? What are the business challenges we're facing? And how can this unlock some of the people elements of that? You know, um, you know, and as you said, having the data together is clearly one way of doing that because you need to blend those different data sources together as you as you talked about and, and be able to do that at scale, not every time you've got a question, okay, I'm going to get data sources one, two, three, and yeah, five, yeah. bring them together, do all the analysis on. You've got that access to to draw upon that. Obviously, yeah. as you said, the skills to actually to do that analysis in the first place. But start with, you know, I, I've, I've been to enough conferences over the years and 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 people still say, you know, don't start with the data, start with the business problem. And it's, it's probably the first rule of people analytics, I would say, or, or anything that we're, we're doing using technology in, 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 in HR. If it's not a business problem, don't do it. Right. So, um, so yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested to to find so I mean I, I think I'd be interested to find out you know how how you source those business questions I mean is this, is this is this something you work directly with the business on obviously what I noticed in your introduction is you've not just worked you're not just a career HR professional tone you've, you've worked in sales and, and marketing and in technology areas as well I get I guess that probably helps it does I, I think there is um it, again I, I I like to talk in three so I hope that that's not boring but I think there, there okay. there's there's three parts there that, that, that I think help a lot first of all is having a natural curiosity outside of people so yeah. uh, um, you know read ask questions ask your strategy team or your head of finance or whatever your your, your the first your your whoever leads the organization ask them about hey what are your three big questions you have to ask and just you know, it's not a bad thing to ask questions. Uh, if you, you know, you're going to understand better what, what, what they're looking for. And it helps, I think, us in HR to translate that into meaningful action. I think that that's the first thing. I think the second one is to subscribe to uh, podcasts like yourself or, or enroll in the work that you, you guys do with, the, with your organization, David, in terms of understanding, like what, what's there. You know, it's like appreciating what's going on, you know, taking those first steps to learn. Yeah. Um, and I think the third part is to, and again, I mean this respectfully, not be afraid to have a vision or a strategy for HR. Um, yeah. You know, I think that the, the, the function will is and will become even more strategic in the in the years ahead. And that's not because I, I worked in HR and I worked in sales and did the different things. But I think that more and more technology will help us to evolve with regard to the kind of bread and butter, the core HR part will start to, you know, change transform technology will help us do that more efficient so the role can really elevate itself in terms of insights recruitment looking ahead where are pools of talent how do you facilitate certain conversation and i think that that's something that you know just challenge yourself close your eyes there's plenty of content out there and think five years from now or 10 years from now how does the world look like and what's the role that hr plays in an organization and if you want to go really philosophical in society to drive things forward because I think we still do one thing that I try to challenge my team on. We still look at consumers and employees at two different animals. How you interact with your bank and then you walk into an office, all of a sudden the joys of doing expense notes and you know badge reports, all that stuff, you don't do that in your day-to-day -day life. I think that that's going to start to blend because our future colleagues and our current colleagues, they grow up in an environment or an ecosystem where it's all frictionless, right? It's the famous word. 
And I think that that's going to be a massive opportunity and challenge for, for HR in general to pivot there. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. It's, you know, as you said, that national curiosity. Speak to people in strategy, speak to business leaders, speak to finance about what that challenges they're facing. Because, you know, we don't want to operate in a little bubble in a silo in HR. But I love that, that the kind of outside in, you know, learn from what others are doing. You know, because, you know, you can't you don't necessarily want to replicate it because it's your own challenges in your own organization. But you can definitely learn from the outside. And as you said, be brave, have a vision and strategy of what you're trying to achieve. Uh, We had Lena Nair on the podcast uh, 18 months ago and she said HR needs to have more swagger, which I thought was a a lovely way of describing it. Um, So. So, yeah, I I think that's I think it's really important. And, you know, in HR is the business as well. And, And I think we. We need to we need to recognise that those of us that, that work in the field and listen to this uh, listen to this podcast, um, yeah. which hopefully isn't isn't just my mum. We'll find out. We'll find out one day when we look at the list. Tone, what I'm quite interested is with it with the the platform that you're talking about using the you know using the technology. What's the balance that you've struck between using the algorithm and the and human decision making? I think taking the balance, David, between the human interaction and the algorithm, for me, the algorithm is a support mechanism. It is. It should bring insights that you, as a human, uh, connecting so many dots that you would not be able to compute or logically would not be able to compute. But the, my firm belief is that AI ML will not replace human interactions. So yeah. all the products that we build help to take better decisions, but those decisions will be taken by leaders, right? Yeah. Because AI ML can catch a lot of things, but somebody's interpersonal behavior doesn't catch that, you know? So I think it helps take better decisions. It helps a lot to take faster decisions, uh, unbiased decisions. But I think at the end, it comes down to having honest conversations with leaders amongst each other, with employees, and with empowering data. So I think we, we spoke a little bit about that before. But I think that insight on getting those nudges on, hey, actually, for me, I, I love working on a Sunday afternoon, put on some music, and I prepare for the week. Yeah. Um, but as I send emails, I don't expect my team or the rest of the organization to open their laptops on Sunday afternoon. They can, they can do whatever they want. If they do, great. If they don't do, also great. I think that these type of nudges can help in terms of understanding how do you lead? What's the last time you spoke to the person? What's your, you know, if you pivot more to introverts or extroverts? So these type of insights, I think AI and AI can help. And I think we can really create a more meaningful workplace uh, where both, you know, colleagues, employees, leaders are able to, you know, work in a way fair together, if that makes sense. So yeah. um, I think that, that that's it. I, I, I'm not, I don't believe that Okay, let's let's have the AI ML spit out things, and we're just going to run with that. I think that 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 that's too far out. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's there to help. It's to guide decisions, isn't it? And as you said, it by putting a lot of information together, it can help you make quicker decisions, um, and maybe hopefully more informed ones as well. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and I love that. I love that analogy around you know just using it to understand you know with with nudges effectively, just saying you know. You know the data suggests this, and if you do this, 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 this will likely happen. If you do this, this will probably happen, and then at least it helps kind of make that decision around that. So really interesting. You talked about how that how the you've the accuracy has improved. You know what are the practical steps that 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 you've actually been doing to to actually help to do that? Yeah, I think the question we get all the time: How do you improve data quality? Oh, it makes sense. Again, (laughs) it's threefold. First you have to make data priority and making sure it's clean. So 
we went on this journey as well, David, in our organization. So that, that when we started to look at data from how do we get, how do we extract value out of this, that I was there swimming in a, in a, in a pool of gold. It was a mess, right? Like every organization, start dates were there, but they were wrong. Line manager, just to make data important and make it important in a, that's where I think that's not AIML, but this is data reporting helps to say, hey, your accuracy is 60%. Then as an organization, if you decide that this is important, start your journey to clean your data. And again, that takes time. I've been blessed to work with, with people in, 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 in Europe and global who actually started that before I took roles. So again, and we made it important as a function, as a people function, we call uh, HR uh, people in ABI. To say, okay, we need clean data to take better decisions. So that's the first step. There is no way you're going to do this by asking the people team or the HR team to clean data for you because they will refuse to do that at a certain point. That's not why you know human beings are put on the earth. I think the second part that we do every kind of month when we do releases, so we work agile. Uh, yeah. And not agile, the fat word, but like really try to empower the teams. And if you have great people... We do the retros, we learn, we look at performance KPIs, we look at adoption, we look at the net promoter score, but we also have data scientists to help us make sure that the algorithm improves. So you have the data that came out. What are the things that we saw were outliers based on the input you then get from managers in the process? And then what can we learn from there? So we challenge our, our AI ML to be unbiased. I think that that's, again, one of the, 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 the barbecue stories you always have when you work in HR and you talk about AI. First thing is, okay, but what if your AI is biased? Yeah, okay. So you need to make sure that you have mechanisms in place that check. That's not very complicated. Yeah. And I think the, 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 the third part with regard to a, a, um, how you do this, start small. So if you want to start with like, this, this didn't start with the full global organization. Take a scope of your organization. Yeah. Understand, learn, adapt. Because if you go a big bang with everybody involved and you get it wrong, it's no problem. But you'll have to do so many steps back to then get the change management moving again, David. And I think it makes more sense to go smaller, learn, adapt, learn, adapt, learn, adapt. Uh, and then once you feel that the product is ready enough, then you can start to scale it. Uh, because I think then you got the child diseases out of it. You got your insights and you feel yourself also more comfortable with what you've done. And I guess what you do with that is if you're communicating that this is something that's being piloted in a part of the organization, you create a buzz and maybe a, a, a desire to actually maybe be the next business unit or country that, that gets on board. Um, yeah. I've certainly seen that happen quite a lot. And I think, again, that's another way that we can learn from marketing in, in HR in people is, you know, how, how do we promote our products? Right. Like we promote our products externally to our customers. How can we promote our products as HR to our employees, our workforce, yeah. our managers, our leaders? Hundred percent, and I think it, two practical tips that we try to apply here is first of all, uh, we, we have this notion of you spoke, we listened, or you spoke, we acted. Yeah, um, which what it starts with again, asking questions, and you know, sometimes we don't ask the question because we know that the answer is going to be bad, right? You have a product that everybody complains to you about wherever you are, but then we don't make it factual. Because the moment you make it factual, you can say, hey, look, we took these things to improve it, and now this thing is moving. So I think the first part is making sure um, that you make it factual. If you ask the question, that you get that data pointed. And then, you know, you can communicate back, like, hey, you, you told us that it was not good. These are the three things that we've done. Look, now people tell us it's better. It's not 100% yet, but we're on a journey. That's the first thing. And the second thing, what I learned here from the team in the US, David, is really spending additional time on change management. It's not something that is easy, it's a skill. 
Um, uh, But I think it makes a lot of sense to explain in simple terminology why you're doing things. And I'm I'm sure there are tons of people who are listening to to your podcast who do this much better than we do. Uh, but it, it's something not to neglect because it's exactly what you said. Like, hey, you know, we have this. It's solving your problem. Hey, this is in line with our strategy. I think it's important to explain that. Yeah, and it's a different different way of working, isn't it? So, right. as you said, it's change management. It's changing the way you work, which is quite fun. It can be quite fundamental for for people, for managers and stuff. So, um, and we we talked a little bit um, around uh, feedback from managers and, and and stuff like that but you know were there any challenges with with managers success and program you talked a little bit about that but are there any success metrics for example that you can share beyond the obviously the one you've mentioned around the accuracy yeah so we look at adoption again one of the i have tons of ideas together with the team right um but at the end it's about if people use it it's the same as brand innovations you can put them out there but if nobody buys them you you know you did something you need to adapt I think we really look at adoption, which is, are people using your product? And that can be within the function, that can be outside of the function, but that's the first thing that we look at. Um, I think the second part that that we we look at is performance. I think we sometimes don't talk enough about that, David. Uh, Performance is boring, right? This is low times, click-throughs. It's your process optimization. It's basically your Kaizen, but using data to do it for you instead of a whiteboard with post-its. I think we sometimes don't make it important enough. Um, while if you look at larger tech companies, this is their bread and butter. They look at yeah. load times and that's, again, they set the bar for you, me, and, and and whoever is building these things. Like if your internal search system is not as fast as Google, your users, i.e. your employees, are going to say, hmm, this thing is slow. So I think we need you need to make performance important. That's the second layer that we look at. And then the third part is we, 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 we ask NPS. And if you use NPS or CSAT or whatever, I, I don't think it matters. I think it's method or KPI-wise, I think is agnostic. I think the key thing is to ask for feedback yeah. and ask people for, hey, what would make this product even better? So again, the famous question on would you recommend this and this AI ML to your family and friends, I think is a, re- a very weird question because I think there's few people in the world who come home on Wednesday night and say, you know, today I was at work. I had this AI ML. Wow. I really recommend you to look at it. I think that that's, <laughs> that's not how human people, or at least some maybe. But um, uh, so I think you need to make sure that you ask the right question to get the right input, if that makes sense. So did this help you take better decisions? Yeah. How is this connecting to your business strategy? I think then you get the insights that you need rather than, you know, would you recommend this and this tool to your family and friends? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's slightly even more nuanced than that, isn't it? It's what, you know, what are we doing well? What could we do better with a, with right. a particular product or something like that? And and I guess the, the thing about NPS, you know, and I know there's debate on whether it's, you know, you should use it or you shouldn't use it. But what what I think it does, it does resonate with people because it, no doubt you use it on the customer side. So it resonates with leaders. They understand it. Exactly. You haven't got to go through a whole kind of conversation around why you're using a particular metric. So people understand it. And then people kind of get excited about it they want to right. understand you know how's that tracking on a on a kind of monthly or quarterly basis and as long as you're getting the insights that you need from it to improve the product yeah and obviously and, and as you said telling people that you've listened and you've acted then then ultimately the product's improving and, and the user experience is improving isn't it 100 and david to pick on a word you mentioned there uh, it's about improving so measuring nps as a number on a slide 
you might as well not do it. But it's about that continuous improvement part. I think you, you mentioned it you know, a couple of times there. I think that that's key. I mean, to say that you measure NPS, fine, very nice. But how are you doing this to then do the, you know, the ethnographics, do the interviews, do the work, replan your backlog? That's for me the work that 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 really adds the value because that yep. creates credibility in how people believe you're managing your product. Yeah, completely agree. How how were you thinking of taking it next? Yeah, no. I, so I, I think well, we'll, we'll I, I will practice what I preach, right? So we're going to continue to look on performance. We're going to measure NPS. We're going to continue to make this better. But as a uh, uh, kind of in the background of this uh, product, new things started to arise. For example, our succession tool. We're excited about that uh, in yeah. terms of starting to recommend internal successors for particular roles. This helps with diversity of thought lists. This helps with understanding skills. This also starts to help in terms of, hey, I have gaps here because the way we do succession plans, and I don't know, maybe there's, I, I haven't come across one company or a tool that nails succession plan 100%. So I think that that's one that I'm really excited about. We're kind of in MVP stages there, but what I see what the team is building, I'm very excited about. I think the second part, is we're starting to uh, move more in terms of how are we going to make this available to employees. So today it's more on line manager level, people team level, but how do you really, again, a bit fashionable term, but how do you really democratize the data? So how yeah. do you get a single suite where people can get their content and start to, uh, 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 which is going to help them to improve? I think that these are the two parts that I'm most excited about, the two legs that I really start to do. And whilst we add more data sources to the data lake, and then there's always we have always an explore leg with the team uh, where they look benchmark. We try to, we had a session this morning with, with the team in Argentina and India where we're really starting to think of like a community of practices for people to start to share ideas. Because again, I think that I don't believe in a top-down approach for analytics. Yeah. I think it makes sense to do a data lake top-down so that you have that degree of consistency. But how people use it where, I don't care. But then really to start to share and then potentially converge on larger epics or larger products that are being built, I think is very exciting. So, again, I think these would be the three things. Yeah, makes sense. Exciting. Very excited. I think, I, think the, I think the field is super exciting. I think we're really just starting to learn. As you said, we collect so much data, but we, I think we are still starting to understand and at the same time, we're going to get a couple of things super, super wrong in terms of, you know, we might be thinking we're solving a business problem and we're not or, you know, so, so, and, and I'm, I'm very excited where this is going to uh, bring us. And, and I'm super proud of the team that builds that because they are the ones that really come with the, the ideas, the insights, and they're empowered. And I think that that fits as well. You know, we spoke earlier or a couple of years ago, I think that also fits very well with our company culture of ownership where people have that empowerment to come with ideas, solutions and, 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 and um, you know, solve business problems. And, and that leads on quite nicely to sort of the next part of the conversation. You've mentioned agile a few times. It's a bit of a buzzword at times. I, right. I'm sure you agree with me on that. I do. But saying that, um, you know, I think it's, it's fair to say that the more progressive HR organizations really are actually taking a more agile approach, exactly as you said, rather than trying to roll out a whole program for the whole company in one go. It's like, okay, well, let's, let's try something. Let's see if it works. Let's learn. If it doesn't work, okay, we've, we move, we move on. We learn from it and do something else. Or as you said, you, you learn, you iterate, you, you continually kind of improve it on, on, on that basis as well. You know, how important do you think an agile approach is in HR? I think agile is a means to deliver results. 
uh, and I think it's just a, a method. So I, I tend to agree that, okay, you know, you need to work agile. We have trained a thousand people on agile, all these type of things. I don't think they particularly, I'm, I'm not particularly impressed with those things. I think it's really, where does agile add value? Where does waterfall add value? Where does Kaizen add value? So I think it's a tool in a toolbox to be very honest to you, David. So that's the first part. Well, where I have seen it work, and I have two practical examples, we're going to stay high level enough, uh, but we used Agile as well in, in business as usual. So uh, we had a, a payroll challenge in one of our countries. But what we saw there and where I think it can add tremendous value is when you have a matrix organization or you have a cross-functional uh, uh, problem or you have a, a challenge where you have multiple locations in the world or in locations working together. Yeah. This is for me where Agile creates uh, so much excitement and not so nobody gets excited about oh we go agile yeah but people get excited about solving a common problem working better together communicating being able you know empowered to solve problems i think if i go very to the core of what agile is agile is not a training and that you know what a scrum is and an epic is and all these things it's I don't think that that's it. What it really is, is that you understand how that can help you work better together as a team. And sometimes, what I said before, it can be waterfall. If you know where you're going and it's just about speed, it's very clear, boom, let's go waterfall. Every week, check-in, stair codes, all the thing. But if you have to connect different people, different groups, different functions, and kind of the, 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 the organizational design is, is opaque, is not super clear, I think Agile can help a lot. If people can yep. get their egos out of the room and focus on the business problem that's there at hand. And I'll be very honest, it was tough for me, okay? Because when I started to, when we started the change journey, David, it was like, uh, actually, your role is not to say anything, which is almost counterintuitive as you sometimes get trained as a leader. You have to give direction, et cetera. But actually, it's the other way around. You have to be clear on where you want to go, North Star-wise. But then it's yep. about the team, the backlog. They do their poker sessions and all that. But the results impressive. We had a system before where we used this. Uh, we did like every quarter releases was slow. Every time there was a fight on that. And when we when, when I left the zone, the team was running it 100% autonomously. We were doing weekly releases. Performance was up. NPS was up. Stability was up. Functionalities kept improving. But I had no idea what was going on. And I think that that was super cool because, you know, that, that for me, when I, when I spoke to the guys who helped us with the, with the implementation of Agile was almost for me the ultimate goal because that's what you want as an organization. So anyways, that's, I think it's a tool in a toolbox. I think it can help a lot if you have a complicated business problem that has multiple stakeholders, but it requires leaders to, you know, take a step back and, you know, you're going to go through the change curve, but you have to trust the team in doing it. And I mean, you talk, you talked about taking a step back as a leader. You know, what other, what other advice would you give to some of your peers that are listening, other organizations that are looking to, to use agile more in HR? Yeah. I, I think look at where it can work. So I, I, you know, to run it in your, to run agile because you want to put on your LinkedIn profile or, or on your CV that you are a, a scrum master, I would stay away from that. I, I think that that's, you're not going to help anybody, not yourself. So let, let me start with a, almost a negative statement there, sorry for that. But I think where it, I think it can really help, again, start small, understand the real problem and familiarize yourself. The second thing, don't kill it too fast in your head. 
I, I did like three trainings before I started to get it, right? And because the first time you hear it, you're like, man, this is a, this is, wow, this can maybe work for the tech teams, but man, I, this is not for us. But try to embrace it and roll it. And the third one, really make sure that you trust your team. So if there's somebody in your team who is really excited about Agile, but not like the Agile from the sideline, right? But really believes that they can make it better, trust them. Give them nine months, give them 12 months, give them 18 months to get this thing right. Talk to them, learn from them. That's really how it went for us. There was somebody in my organization who believed firmly that this was going to make their product better. Okay, I will, you know, I trust you. I will learn, I'll be there to support, I'll play my role. But she was actually the person who made, you know, who brought the concept to reality. And from that moment, I'm really hooked on it in that, or hooked. Uh, I see it adds value in multi-layered, multi-location, more complicated uh, products and processes. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really came out of what you said is it's it's a technique, it's a methodology to use right. certain things that you're trying to achieve. But it might be other methodologies you might use for for to solve other problems, you know. So, okay. uh, which I think is a it's a nice nice way of putting it. So, so Tom, we, we've come to um, the question that we're asking everyone on this series now, and and we, you touched on it a little bit earlier when you 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 talked about sk- understanding skills data and stuff like that. It, what is the what is the value of of measuring skills data, and how should companies approach it? So the, the question on skills, David, is, um, again, I've been on a learning journey in this role for the last kind of six months with my team here. Um, we are working together with Gloat, uh, is a, uh, a startup that I think you, you, you guys spoke about a couple of times as well. So but they, they yeah. help us. I don't know where skills will go. What I do know is that it's going to be super important for us with the challenges we're going to have in the future. If that is technology, innovation, speed, whatever, to get a better understanding. Because on a macro level, what do we see? We see employees looking not just for fast career path tracks, et cetera, look for mastery. Second thing is that this whole conversation we had four years ago, I would not be able to have a type of conversation like this if I would not have had met people who had deep, skills that are really passionate about the topic and willing to to share that so for business problems you're going to have some deep-rooted skills so the whole conversation about generalists versus experts t-shape and all that is going to shift i I have no doubt about that now where it sits in an organization we're going to learn we're inspired by what the teams in unilever have done we're inspired what the teams in craft has done I think we're going to understand how this is going to go. And this is also where how the approach we're taking there, uh, David. So we're rolling out Gloat now for around five, 6,000 people, which, again, um, is big enough for us to start to learn. But we're really focused here on the talent management world, career paths, how does organization look. We don't go immediately to the marketplace because yeah. I feel that the marketplace is sometimes, it's too far out. It has so many implications on how you reward, how you set targets, how you promote, how you allocate time. That We, I, 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 we first need to meet, learn a little bit before we go there. So we're going to take it step by step. I think it's going to be a super exciting chapter of people and how organizations grasp that. I think it's a quite a crowded place in terms of discussions and, 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 and well, philosophical debate almost. I think for, you know, it, it took me a bit of time to find it, you know, what I think it is for us as an organization. Yeah. But this is going to evolve as we learn together with the team from Gloat, with ourselves, and when we when we go live with the groups that we're going to be using it. 
So it could be podcast part two in a 18 months time, 24. Yeah, that, no, I would love to take you up on that. Uh, so then it's then it's going to be either something that we really learned or it's like something that we said we tried, but we, we it was we not for us. But I think it's, it's quite a fresh approach. I think that, you know, from the outside looking in at your organization, you do take this approach. You do try things and learn from it. You know, you've talked everything that we've talked about today is is is, is that approach but i think you you do that a lot with uh technology companies and partners you you know you you'll try with a pilot start something small using your your own words learn from it and then if it works for the organization then you look to roll it out from from yeah there. no 100 and, and, and at the same time there is one important thing that i had to learn from from a line manager who coached me here on that not to have pilot purgatory so you have you have to define almost step by step, what is the success criteria? Because what sometimes happens, this is just human, human behavior, right? You fall in love with your idea and then you, at a certain point, you know, you don't give up, you give, you don't, you don't give up anymore and yeah. you will make it a success. And I think what I got challenged from four years ago, I said, okay, this whole test and learn is great, but at a certain point you need to go to scale or you need to sunset it because otherwise you're going to yeah. create a mess in your organization. So I just wanted to build on that. It's not that we're running 5,000 pilots here. What we do is once we think something helps and converges towards our business strategy, we're super open to learn, to try, but we're also open to do the sunsetting, learn from the retro and understand why it didn't work for us. Because it doesn't mean that two years later, the same product might be extremely relevant yeah. to solve a problem. But that's that's really the bit of the mindset that we're trying to go to. to you, know, you can diverge, but you have to converge quick enough and then see how you go from like pilot MVP to scale. I think that that's something that we're still learning, um, but 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 that's something that we apply as well in our team. Well, Tony, as I knew I would, um, sadly we come to end of our discussion. I knew I'd enjoy our discussion, and I and I have, and I, I hope listeners have as well. Um, thanks for being a guest on the podcast, Tony. How how can listeners stay in touch with you and and follow you on social media, find out more about your work? Well, first of all, big thanks, and it was great to reconnect, David. Uh, I think it's impressive what you and the team are building, and I think it's awesome to see how you're shaping the landscape. So, congrats on that. Um, I think people can connect on LinkedIn. I think that that's the easiest way. Uh, drop me a note there. Uh, connect if you have any questions. Uh, happy to help and uh, happy to share whatever you know ideas or insights we have. We are not like perfect uh i don't think any organization is but happy to to share learners if uh, if that helps anybody on their journey that's great tone thanks very much and uh hopefully we'll we'll meet in new york or or wherever um, hopefully in, soon in the in the not too distant future take All care right. thank you david thanks for listening to this episode of the digital hr leaders podcast i hope you enjoyed it you can subscribe via podcast app of choice If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. A huge thank you to all of our guests on Series 15. Ron Friedman, Tersha Wiedenhoff, Rick Van Ektort, Joanne Capers and Tone Van Der Veer and our series sponsor, AG5. We'll be back next week with a special bonus episode where my guest will be Kathleen Hogan, Chief People Officer at Microsoft. I know you won't want to miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.